morning, everyone. Thank you for the music, all you people that were involved. It was very beautiful, and I enjoyed the songs that you sang, and that I tried to sing with you. <laughs> uh, it's good to be here again with you. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn with me to the book of Psalms. I'd like to look at one specifically this morning, Psalm 46. And the fact that you're here this morning tells, tells me something that uh, you have a desire in your heart to, to know God. Um, and I would hope that you would have that desire not only to know him in a casual way, but to actually have a real relationship with him. And that's God's desire as well for you. Unfortunately, sometimes the way to get that relationship or to have that relationship, we have a different perspective than God does. And I'd like to touch a bit on it today because unfortunately our idea of what God has for us and what his idea of what he has for us is very different. You see, we would like to have heaven and all the benefits here on earth where God wants to change us to be like his son. And you see, that process is not an easy process. Um, I'm reading a book right now that actually touches a bit on it. It's by a gentleman who I had heard his dad speak and actually got to know him personally. Very godly man, one good, excellent preacher. This man, in later years of his life, he was preaching in different areas, and he would take his wife with him, and wherever he went, he took his wife in a wheelchair. She was not well. She ended up dying by this cancer. When he returned home, after having buried his wife, his son called him. This is the man who wrote the book to tell him that he was diagnosed with the same cancer as his mother had died from. You see, we think the easy path is the way to holiness and to being like the Lord Jesus. But God knows that it's through the struggles and the challenges of life that strengthen us and make us strong. You see, my wife, <laughs> use a physical example here, my wife bought me this ring, okay? It was actually free. <laughs> okay, it cost a shipping. But it's made of what's called tungsten carbide. Now, what they do with that is they grind it down into a powder. And then they take this tungsten, this carbide, and they mix them together, and they, meet them, and they heat them up to a very, very, very high heat. And when they're finished with it, this, in hardness, is second only to the diamond. You see, what God wants to do with us is to grind us down very small till we're nothing. Because then he can start to do something with us and form us into something that's for his glory. But it's through the heat of life that he doesn't, isn't it? So I want you to keep that in mind as we read this psalm and, and in your own experience, as you walk with God day by day, and if you don't know God day by day, if you don't know God and have a relationship with Him, 
And I invite you to listen because the one that, we, that I will speak about this morning is the one who wants to be everything to you. And he is the only one that can be. Let's read Psalm 46. It says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore will not we fear, though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the middle of the sea. Though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof. Selah. There is a river, the streams whereof shall make glad the city of God, the holy place, the tabernacles of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, she shall not be moved, God shall help her, and that right early. The heathen raged, the kingdoms were moved, he uttered his voice, the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our refuge, Selah. Come behold the works of the Lord, what desolations he has made in the earth. He maketh wars to cease unto the end of the earth, he breaketh the bow and cutteth the spear in sunder. He burneth the chariot in the fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. <clears throat> Let's just take a moment and ask God to, to really to direct our thoughts to hear what he has for us this morning. Oh God, we thank you that this is your word and that you desire that each one of us today would have a relationship with you, that we would walk with you, and ultimately that you would be free to conform us and change us to be like your son. Oh God, expose the areas that are not of you, the areas where we hold out on you, that you might be free to do your work, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> if you look at this psalm, it's not really known exactly what the occasion of the psalm was. There's a number of circumstances in the Old Testament that possibly could have been the reason why it was written. Some people think it was when <clears throat> Sennacherib had come with the host of the Assyrians and he'd surrounded Jerusalem. <clears throat> And he was ready, and he had them just, actually, like he says, he, he had them like a little bird in a nest, locked up, ready to pounce on them and devour them. It might have been that situation. I don't know. But the reality is true, as true for us today as it was true for them. And, and what's remarkable is you, if you break this psalm into parts, you'll see that there are natural, you could say natural disasters, and there are national disasters. Isn't that true today? If you look around the world and you see what's going on, and you read the newspapers, not necessarily a good habit, but if you do, um, you, you start to see that, well, there's been so many earthquakes and, and all these natural things, phenomena happening. I mean, you look out west and you see the wildfire that we had in Canada alone. Uh, it it kind of gets a little unnerving when you start to read them. And then you start reading about the countries and the nations and all that's going on. If you look over in uh, what's just happened this past week in, in Nice, France, in, um, in Germany, uh, you look what's going on in Iraq and Syria, and, and it just seems to be 
boiling over what's going on in the United States, how many police officers and how many people have been shot in the last, num last month or two. You have to stop and wonder, like, what is going on? And yet, this is the very environment, the very setting in which we find this psalm written. It's, it's right in this that, that we find that it's so appropriate for us today. And he starts off where we need to start off, that God is a refuge and, and strength, a very present help in trouble. See, this psalm is meant to be lived. It's not something that, you know, sometimes we, all of the doctrine of the Word of God is important for us day by day. But there's days it's like someone said, I need a hand to hold on to. And that's what this is about. Because there's days where I, I can't see the face of God, but God wants us to know that very real that he is with us. And this is what he's getting at. He said he's our refuge and strength. And, and for us, the idea of refuge is not something we, we hold as much today, but if you go back to the time when this would have been written, they would have had refuges. Especially in Israel, if you go, there's, there's so many hills and valleys in so many parts of the land, and, and, and they would build their, their cities and that on top of a hill. And these would be a refuge so people could go to when they were under attack. And in fact, there was chosen out of Israel six cities of refuge. And these cities were set in a place, three in the western part were set up on hills. In fact, it's, they call them mounts. And so that you could see them from a long ways away. And so someone who, was, who had, um, for example, accidentally killed someone, perhaps I'm out in the woods and I'm cutting lumber or cutting down trees and the head flies off the axe and it hits my friend in the head and he dies. Well, the law back then was that, that his family could come and execute me. And the only option I had was to run for a city of refuge. And so these cities were well marked. They were up on the hill so you could see them and people would flee to that to find refuge, to find protection, and ultimately to find justice. And he says here, God is a refuge. God is a place we can flee to for safety and security. That no one can come in there and, and no one can attack us in that place. But he's also a place of strength. He's a place of strength because if you've lived at all for a while in this world, there's always coming days when there's no strength for the day. When you're going to wake up in the morning, you're going to say, I can't do this. I can't do this. I, I don't know what to do, and I, I just can't do this. And that's when we find that God is there and God is enough. You know, it's one of the beautiful things in this psalm. I'm kind of jumping ahead here, but it, it says in verse 5 that God is in the midst of her. We could say God is there. That's the name of God. Did you know that? That's the name of God. God is there. Jehovah Shammah. God is there. But we could change that and take off the first letter of that last word and say God is here. God is here. We need to step back once in a while, and unfortunately, I believe, and I, I, this has been on my mind a lot, and I'm, I may go down a few rabbit trails. Bear with me, please. 
We need to stop and think what the Word of God really means. We need to take it and meditate upon it because it's only when it medit we meditate on it begins to permeate us. You know, if, if you do any cooking at all, and in Peru where we live, the meat is really tough. Like, it's hard to find a good steak. I like steak, but it's hard to find a good steak. But if you can find some steak and you can marinate it, the marinade helps to break down some of those tough fibers. And so what do you do? Well, you take this pan. I'm not a cook, by the way, so I'm just speaking from secondhand knowledge, okay? Not firsthand knowledge. So you take this pan and, and you, you, you put your meat in there and then you put this marinade over top of it and it's a sauce. And what does it do? It begins to break it all down. It begins to saturate that meat with this flavor. And not only with the flavor, but with the sauce so that it breaks it down. And, and, and that's what the Word of God should be to us. And how is that possible? First of all, when we read it, but then as we begin to meditate on it, it begins to, we begin to be saturated with it. It fills us. Because what happens? It, it's, like, it's like these glasses. When they're full of water, the world is constantly banging us, banging us, banging us, banging us. And what happens over time with the, if we're getting banged and this is full of water? Well, the water's slowly getting banged out, isn't it? But as we spend time in the Word of God and it saturates every part of us, what happens when somebody bangs into us? What do they get hit with? They get hit with the Lord, don't they? And, and they look at it and they say, you know, you're weird, but in a good way. It's good to be weird in a good way. And, and what, I, what I mean is that people expect a certain response out of others. But when, when you spend time in the Word of God, and this is not something like overnight, but as you spend time in the Word of God, you find that it begins to change the way you think, to change the way you respond. Only God can do that. Because naturally, that's not our nature. But God begins to change us. And how is that possible when we spend time in the Word of God? And we begin to think, what does God really mean? Because when you think about it, that God is here. He is with us at all times. And so God is a refuge and strength. And it says He's a very present help in trouble. It means, and there's, there's really two aspects to that, that He's always available. It's not like, you know, when you dial those numbers, hello, please wait, you know, you're, you're, you're in the queue, you'll be served within 20 minutes. Okay, that's not like God. Now think of it, God has all the people over all the world can at any moment call him and they're never on hold. God is always available, he's always ready to hear my cry. Think of that. Think of that. It can be something as simple as my daughter, I don't know what's going on. God, what do I do? And he hears that. Or something very traumatic has happened in my life and I cry out from the depths of my soul in anguish and I get, God, help. And he hears it. He's always readily available for help. But not only that, the wonderful thing is, see, it's one thing to go to somebody who you'd like to help you, but the other aspect is this, he can help you. See, if you brought your car to me to fix it, there's a few things I could fix on it, but most of it I couldn't do. Where would you take it? you take it to a mechanic, and a mechanic can help you. And best is you take it to a mechanic who has a good record. Someone who's, you know, your friends say, yeah, he's really good, he did this and this and this for me. Why? Because he's proven. 
or when you go to God, you know what? God has proven himself over and over and over again that he can help us. And not only can help us, but that he will help us. So not only is he readily available, but he can help us. He's proven himself to be able to help us in the, that time of need, to provide for us refuge and strength. And so because of that, look at the next verse, the next two verses, really. You see here, and it's almost like the psalmist chooses the things that we never stop to think about. It's almost like he chooses something so extreme so that everything is included in it. Because when's the last time you thought about the earth being removed, like just being totally shaken out of place? We don't think about that. Even something as simple as an earthquake. We don't think about those here, do we? Now, incidentally, in the last month there was five tremors in New Brunswick. I didn't see any in Nova Scotia, but there's five in New Brunswick. In Peru, where we lived, Johnny told me, my son, that we would have literally millions of shakes and quakes every year. And we've actually felt them before. But you take for granted that the earth is always going to be there, that it's always solid. And what's he saying here? We won't be afraid because of what was in the previous verse, even though the earth be removed, even though it's shaken out of its place, we won't be afraid. And not only that, he says, or the mountains, if they slide down into the sea, when's the last time you saw a mountain slide into the sea? We think of the mountains as so strong and so high and so, so stable. And he says, what if these were to slide into the sea? We wouldn't fear. Why? Because God is our refuge, a place of safety and security, and God is our strength. God is a strength from day to day. And so, in spite of all of these cataclysmic things happening, we will not fear. Now, do you think that he mentioned these things because... That's what he actually expects to happen in our lives? No. What he's doing is choosing natural things around us so that as we look at them, we begin to understand that really everything falls under this umbrella. Everything falls under that umbrella. You see, because we are very physically based people, like we need to know that God is with us today. That God is with me today. We heard about Mary and her accent. God was there, wasn't he? God, God is with us when we're in the car driving. We need to know that. And, and when something happens, that, that this was not an accident. I remember hearing of one man who was, he was a, a godly man, and he was hurt, and he was in the hospital, and somebody said, when he came to, they said, oh, you had an accident. And he said, accident? There are no accidents with God. There are only incidents. And, and it's true. There's no accidents with God. We can trust him, can't we? That wherever we go, that he is there. In, in, this, in the small events of life, so, so they seem, or in the huge events of life, where, where the pain really comes home to our heart. And, and we know that God is there, and God is our refuge and strength. And he wants us to understand that. He wants us to, as it were, instinctively turn to him. You know, it's, it's like if I throw something at you, at your face, what do you do? Well, most of us do something like that. We dodge or we, we flinch. Well, instinctively, where do you go when you hurt? 
instinctively, when you're happy, where do you go? See, it should be all of that, shouldn't it? That, that God is like our instinct. God, thank you. God, help. In every moment that we turn to him. And so, and so he gives us these, these, this example here. That God is a refuge and strength. <clears throat> in the times when the mountains are being removed. And then he goes on in verse 3. He says, Though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, and the mountains shake as the waters rise up. And living close to the ocean, you can appreciate that a bit, the roaring of the, the waters and, and how they come up. And, and it, it can be very disconcerting if you've ever been out in the ocean. I don't particularly like him to be in a boat. I just feel so out of control on a boat. Um, I'd rather be on terra firma, although terra firma is not that firm sometimes. Um, but if you see the, the, the waves mounding up and then crashing down, and, and you hear the noise from that, and he says, still, we will not fear. We will not fear. See, fear is the instinctive reaction, isn't it? But he wants to replace that with something else. Our trust in God. That, that our eyes are on him and we trust in him at all times. And that's what he says, trust in him at all time, ye people. And look with me for a moment at, at Isaiah chapter 40. <clears throat> Isaiah chapter 40. In verse 29. We, we sang something very similar to this. This morning, it said, we sang, He giveth more grace when the burdens go greater. Well, look what it says in Isaiah 40, verse 29. Because in this psalm, Israel was saying, God has forgotten us. God has forgotten all about us. He doesn't know what's going on because they were going to be carried into Babylon. And there they would be in Babylon saying, well, God's forgot us. He doesn't know what's going on here. Obviously, he's left us. And God says to them, Basically, oh, you foolish people. And he speaks of all just the wonders of his creation so that they would understand. And then listen to what he says here. Well, let's read verse 28. It's also wonderful, this chapter, but um, verse 28. Have you not heard, have you not known, have you not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary? And there's no searching of his understanding. He giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might, he increases strength. You ever feel like that? Faint? No might or strength? And he gives strength. And it says in verse 30, Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew, or shall exchange their strength and get his, receive his. And they shall mount up with wings as eagles, they shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. That's the strength that he wants to give to us. So that when, when we're faced with these cataclysmic events in our life, that the strength he would give us is when we realize, I have no strength. I can't do this. We're, there, we're, we're the ones who are faint. We're the ones who are weak. And he says, but they that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. It's really, God, I have no strength. 
And so he giveth us strength. And he says, they mount up with wings as eagles. And you know, the wonderful thing is, again, I'm not a guy who knows a lot about birds, but I heard that the eagles do best when the wind is blowing in their face. Because then they just open their wings up and it lifts them up. And you see, it's when the wind, so to speak, is in our face, when the troubles are coming against us, that God lifts us up, doesn't he? And he gives us that strength and he gives us that grace for each day. And it says, they shall run and not be weary, they shall walk and not faint. He allows us to go on. <clears throat> and now, <clears throat> um, if we move on back in our psalm again, it says there in the verse 5 and 6, God is in the midst of her, or sorry, verse three, four and five. There is a river, the streams whereof shall make glad the city of God, the holy place, the tabernacles of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, she shall not be moved. God shall help her, and that right earlier, that at the break of dawn. Now, we just read verse two and three, and there you have these, these huge, almost noisy events. And then suddenly you come to verse four and five, and it's like there, there's, there's this quietness, this peace with God. You see the river and the streams making glad the city of God. And what's interesting is it, Jerusalem does not actually have a river that feeds it. In fact, there's no stream that feeds it. There's a, there's a, there's a, a spring that they re-diverted to come into the city. Hezekiah did that. But one day there will be a river. And the amazing thing is with God, God does things differently. Because if you look in the book of Ezekiel, what God is going to do one day, because all good things come from God, James tells us that every good and perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variables, neither shadow of turning. And what did he do? Well, one day, God, the temple will be in Jerusalem, and out from under the door, it says, will come the water. And, and you begin to read that, and that stream, it says, will give life. There'll be fish in that stream, and on the banks will be fruit trees. And that stream will start really small and will grow and grow and grow and grow. The point is that God will be the provider, in this case, of Jerusalem and all those who will come there. And it's the same for you and I, isn't it? That God is the provider for all good things. As we come to him. And so you see there in this city a place of peace and a place of quietness. Why? Because as we already mentioned, that God is there. And when you look at, when you look at this closely, the one thing you'll find if you study the word of God is when you talk about peace, um, peace with God, it's always associated with a person. Because look what it says here, God is in the midst of her. Why is this city at peace? It's because God is there. How can we be at peace in this world? Because God is with us. And see, that was the promise of the Lord Jesus as he was getting ready to leave his disciples. They were all in a tizzy. Like, our master is going to leave us? What are we going to do? How are we going to carry on? We need you to stay here. And then he says, my peace I give unto you. My peace I leave with you. And who is it speaking? It wasn't someone who, who could help them a bit. No, it was the God of heaven and earth. The one who had spoke the earth, world into creation. He would say, I'm leaving you my peace. 
I'm leaving you my peace. Why? He, and he says, not as the world gives, do I give. See, the world can never guarantee what it gives. You've got to love some of the guarantees. When you go to the store, they say, unconditional guaranteed, except for the following exclusions. Is that an unconditional guarantee? No, it's not. There's conditions. And, and in fact, they can't guarantee really anything, can they? But the guarantee that he gives us is that he will give us peace as we abide with him. And peace is always found with a person. You can have peace only through the Lord Jesus Christ here on earth. And I don't know today if you have that peace. If you don't have that peace with the Lord Jesus Christ, I invite you to come and to, to, to find out who he is. Because you can only have that peace through forgiveness of sin. And that's true for a Christian too, you know. Because right now, if you're not enjoying peace with him, and you say, I am a Christian, it's because there's sin in your life. That you, you've kind of backed off and you've stayed away from, you, you don't want to come close. And there can be no peace when there's sin in our heart, because there's no fellowship. See, fellowship is all about having things right between us and God. And he wants that. He's provided for it. He does not want us to stay far from him. He wants us to draw close to him so that we can enjoy the fellowship and we can enjoy the peace that he has for us. <clears throat> and, and so what did God do so that we could have this today? Because it's one thing for me to tell you this. It's quite another thing to live it out. Well, we see here in this verse that God is in the midst of her. God is here. We said God is there, but God is here. But what has he given us? To live this well he's given us his spirit and I, and I know you know that but we need to be reminded of this that God's own spirit think of that the spirit of the God who created all of the universe who upholds it with his own word abides in every believer he dwells within us and, and in fact, Jesus would say, I am my Father will come and we will dwell with you as well. You see, God is not afar off. It's not like God says, I'm up in heaven and I'm kind of watching to see who I have to deal with later. No, God has come as close as, as he possibly could. He's come to indwell us so that we can know him, so that we can have that fellowship and enjoy him, so that we can have that peace and enjoy that refuge and strength he has for us. And now, <clears throat> uh, just a moment, turn to Hebrews chapter thir um, 13. There's a little verse I'd like you to see there. Because he says in Hebrews 13, in verse 5 and 6, Let your conversation or your way of life be without covetousness. Okay, so don't let your way of life be characterized by covetousness. Be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So I do not need to be covetous of all this other stuff. Why? Because I have the most important, the best. I have the best thing. Why would I want anything else when I've got the best? And what is the best? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. And then look what he says here. So that you may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. It's a wonderful thing, isn't it? 
that we can have the Lord Jesus Christ and that will satisfy us. And then we can say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what men will do unto me. Now, moving along quickly here, because we're almost out of time. Um, you look at the verses uh, 6 and 7, and you see their national outrage, upheaval. Um, I kind of made a note of it. First we saw um, earthly upheaval, you could call it. And secondly, I called it national upheaval. And it's true today. Look around us, see the nations, they're in turmoil. They're, and even if you look within the nations, what's going on. Um, if you look out in the Middle East, there's ISIS attacking and, and killing and destroying. And that's affected, that's flowed over into other nations. And then if you look in our own country, many of the things that we've held kind of fundamental are being eroded and, and thrown away. What do we do? Do we throw our hands up in the air and say, where is God? Well, the point is this, is that God is still the same. And you'll notice how he ends this, this little section. He ends it in verse 7 saying, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. You see, sometimes it feels like we're being overwhelmed by all the people around us, like the evil is so much greater and stronger. Well, he wants us to know who is the Lord of hosts. It's not just the Lord, you could say, of all the armies of the earth, of all the Christians on earth. No, that's not the only thing. He is the Lord of all the hosts of heaven. As if he would need any of them. But just to put it in perspective, one angel in heaven, in one night, came down. Remember I was talking about Sennacherib surrounding Jerusalem and Hezekiah was inside. And he says, I've got you like a bird in the nest and I'm going to take care of you. 185,000 men in one night destroyed by one angel. That's one angel. And he has all the hosts of them under his command. And yet he does not need any of them. He simply needs to speak. And that's the authority of his voice. The Lord of hosts is with us. The next time you feel like Everything is crashing down around you and the world around you is going to overrun you. Remember, the Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob. And why the God of Jacob? Well, you remember who Jacob was. Why doesn't he say the God of Abraham or the God of Isaac? Jacob was the deceiver. Jacob, you could say, was the sinner. Who are you? Who, are, who am I? I'm the sinner. I need a God like that. I need a God who associates with me. I'm no, I'm no high and fluting person. I'm, I'm a sinner. I need a God who will come close to me and associate with me. And hasn't he done that? Giving his own son for you and for me. And, and, then, and then once I've trusted in him, as unfaithful as I can be, he puts his spirit within me to teach me how I should live and how I should walk. That's the God of Jacob. He's our refuge. He's the one who upholds us. And so then, looking on to the last few verses there, <coughs> excuse me, um, he shows us how God is over all. God is over everything. Because he says here, Come behold the works of the Lord. And it's good every now and then to just read back through the Bible and see what God has done. And then to look around us and see his creation to see what God has done. 
He says, Come behold the works of the Lord, what desolations he has made in the earth. He makes wars to cease unto the end of the earth. <clears throat> Stop and think for a minute. Where's the Babylonian Empire right now? Gone. Where's the Medio Persian Empire? Now, you might say Iran is still part of Persia, but the fact of the matter is um, that Medio Persian Empire is gone. The Grecian Empire, well, as you know, Greece is really struggling. It's gone. The Roman Empire, again, well, you might say the Catholic Church, but I mean, we won't go there. The Roman Empire is gone. And we could go down the list. Every empire that rose up, fell. Rose up, fell. Rose up, fell. Because it's God. He says, God who lifts one up and puts one down. It's God who's in control. He says, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. And as the rivers of water, he turneth whithersoever he would. God's the one who directs the king this way, directs him back that way. We, pray, we should pray for our government, for our prime minister, for all those that are in authority. God's overall. He makes wars to cease. It says, he breaks the bow and cutteth the spear in sunder. He burns a chariot in the fire. That's God. You know, all these great weapons of war, you see the tanks, you see all the armaments. God need only speak, and he's over all of them. He's greater than all of them. And so what does he say? This is for us in verse 10. Be still. Be still. Stop all of your fighting. Stop all of your wrestling and struggling that you're doing in yourself. Just be still. And know that I am God. Stop all, everything. And sometimes God has to put us in a place where we can't move. I can say that personally. I spent like the last three months pretty much sitting on my behind because of some knee surgery. Actually gained weight too, believe it or not. But God sits us down. Why? So that we will realize who is God. All of these forces of evil around us, all of these people who are changing things, they are not God. He's given them a little time, a short time, but soon he will say, enough, enough. And he will come and he will sit up. Because look what it says here in the next part of the verse. I will be exalted. God will be exalted. See, right now, just so you're aware of it, God is giving everyone here on earth a chance to exalt him willingly. God is giving everyone the opportunity to fall down and say, you are Lord. And that's what he wants you to do. He wants me to do it. He wants me to acknowledge, you are Lord. You are God over all. Have you done that? Have you acknowledged him like that? Exalted him and said, God, you are God. Not that he doesn't need that but he does require it from us because he is God. And one day he will be exalted. You see, one day God will say, enough. And the Lord Jesus Christ is going to return to this earth. You see, Jesus came here in humility, didn't he? He came as a little baby in a manger. He grew up. He, was allowed, he allowed men to treat him so cruelly. But one day he will come down, and he will come down in a way that nobody will be able to doubt that he is Lord. 
Now, I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to that day because I really love him. And to one day see him coming down because, you know, I've told people about him, but a lot of them don't believe him, don't believe me. But one day there he's going to come and he's going to come in all of his glory and he's going to show men who he really is and they'll get to see it. And we'll get to see him, think of that, to see him come and to, in all of who he is. I'm looking forward to that day because he will be exalted. It says there, he says, I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. It says one day that every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. That day is coming. Now, you can return with him. I will be, and I know quite a few of you will be, returning with him. It says we shall be manifesting glory with him. Or you can be there, the one that he will force to acknowledge and to exalt him as it were against your will, realizing that he is Lord. He requires us to exalt him. And we can do that now or we can do that later. And so he closed the psalm. <clears throat> and he, he finishes it off by saying, The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. And, and to finish off, I'd like you to look at a verse with me in Hebrews chapter 6. Just to, as it were, clinch this. Hebrews chapter 6. And we're kind of cutting in a passage here, but um, <clears throat> it's speaking here of how God was going to confirm what he had said. And look what it says in verse 17, Hebrews 6 verse 17. It says, Wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability or the unchangeableness of his counsel, he confirmed it by an oath. So in other words, God wanted to show <clears throat> the... Um, the heirs of promise, so that would be like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He wanted to show them that he does not change. And so he confirmed what he said with an oath. Okay? He confirmed it with a, a um, he committed his word in an oath. And this is what it says here in verse 18. By two immutable things, two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie. So God gave his oath. God said, I will do this. As it were, I swear to do this, but then it's impossible for God to lie. If God says something, God does it, or else he ceases to be God. And so we have God's oath, I will do this, and secondly, his very word. Two concrete things that cannot change. And so we might have, what effect should that have on you and I, that God has spoken like this. Because God has confirmed to you and I what his purpose is. What is his purpose? Well, one of the first purposes for you and I is that Jesus is going to come, that we can be with him forever. And then we will abide with him forever and he will be exalted here on the earth and he will be exalted everywhere. This is his purpose. And so what effect should that have us? Well, look what it says here, that we should have a strong consolation or comfort we should have this overwhelming comfort because of God's word. Now, if you lack this comfort, are you spending time in the word of God? And it says, Who have fled for a refuge to lay hold on the hope set before us. 
just like those people would run to those cities of refuge, we can go to God to find this comfort, which hope, it says, we have as an anchor of the soul. So this hope is like an anchor, and those anchors bite in the ground, so when the big waves come, we're held sure, steadfast and sure. Why? Because we're anchored into something that cannot and will not change, and that's the Word of God. And it says, um, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil. See, the Lord Jesus Christ, he's already gone before us, hasn't he? He's gone into heaven. With what word of promise? To come back and to receive us again to himself. Why? That where he is, we may be also. That's the promise of the Lord Jesus, that we will be with him. And if you've put your trust in Lord Jesus Christ, this is his word to you. See, God's first word was, I will give you my son. I will give one to come and to die for you. But now the Lord Jesus, he came and he died. So then what did he do? Well, he left us another promise. I will come again. And I will receive you to myself. And he's looking forward to that day as much as a, a, a groom looks forward to the day when he will be married. And if you haven't been to a wedding lately, you need to go to one, even if you have to just sneak in to watch the eyes of the groom. Now, <clears throat> do a kind of, maybe want to dress up or something, you know, so you look part the part. But watch the eyes of the groom. See, he's not staring there. Oh, there's so-and-so. Oh, hi, hey, how you doing? Yeah, good to see you all. No, who's he looking for? He's only got eyes for one person. And when she appears at the end of the aisle, that's all he's been looking for. And, and, and there she comes. And, and you can just see on his face, what? The love that he has for her. Well, do you think the Lord Jesus is any different? He's waiting that day when, as it were, he's going to tear the heavens apart and he's going to come down and their shout is going to come and he's going to say, come on up! And we'll meet him with the clouds forever with him. Now take that hope, that promise, and now come back to the problem you're facing today. The... the, the whatever cataclysmic event it is, the, the difficult thing you're thinking, passing through, and remember, this is what we're looking forward to. And why do I say that? It's to help put things in perspective, because things can be so overwhelming sometimes, but when we remember that God is with us, and the promise is that we will forever be with Him, it's to give us hope. And I pray that you have that hope today. Shall we pray? Oh God, how good you are to us. Although we are completely and totally unworthy of it, and yet you, in so many ways, lavish your love upon us. I thank you for that, oh God. I just pray for everyone here today. Each person represented here today has a struggle, a difficulty that perhaps only they know. Lord, I pray that they would find in you refuge and strength. Father, that they would find that the hope of the promise of the return of the Lord Jesus would encourage them. We, I just ask, oh God, your blessing on each one. And Father, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you as Savior, oh God, may they be drawn to the love of the Lord Jesus and see there that they can have forgiveness for their sins, confessing their sins, and trusting him as the only Savior. 
Lord, we commend ourselves to you now in the name of our Savior, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you.